now is the time to either buy or sell. But if you stay the same, you're just going to die. Ryan. Jordan, how's it going? I'm good, my man. I'm oh, good. Rick, How about you? Jordan. Sorry, I just Rick saw the Jordan. name of your back there. How's it going? It's okay. <laughs> it, you know what? My high school gym teacher always called me that. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny? I, I, it's right before you popped up, I was actually reading an article about Michael Jordan. I grew up yeah. in Chicago too, and I saw you were nice. in Chicago. So then I went down this like, oh, like, you know, you know, of course I went down this rabbit hole. So <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I always talk pre-show and this is what happens, you know. But it's okay. <laughs> that my team edits it in, you know. They're the people <laughs> it's a good conversation. I was just doing a little a little bit yesterday because I'm launching two of these things called quick hits. And it's just it's they were like two to three minute episodes just to drop like towards the end of the week, just a quick thought or whatever. And one of them was on Amazon how the social distancing they're doing to enforce this within their warehouses, they're propping up these poles and these sensors and like drawing a virtual geofencing grid. And it alerts their employees as they're walking by each other when they're too close. That is crazy. It's insane, man. I mean, it's using AI to tell if this person's going to like get within six feet of space and this person on their current trajectory and stop them before they get there. Wow. It's like, I, what I, freaking world is this, man? I mean, that's... <laughs> We're doing a video right now too, recording a documentary, filming this across the U.S. And it's been very revealing, you know, not conspiracy theory stuff or anything like that, but just trying to get to the truth and get that out there because it, it, part of it's a passion project. You know, of course, everything has to be monetizable, but it's a passion project to try to get the truth out there about this stuff. You know, and I, I've interviewed both sides of the political spectrum too. And a lot of people are starting to really kind of meet in the middle. And say, you know, now that all the data is coming out, it's like, did we really need to do all this stuff? And do we need to continue doing all this stuff? And the question is, what happens in the future with the next pandemic or the next crisis? You know, what, what kind of powers are the government going to assume for themselves? Illinois, the dude just granted it. It's like a little king, you know, freaking Pritzker out here right now. He, uh, he just, <laughs> dude, he just granted himself emergency powers. Now, granted himself. That's the key phrase. Emergency powers <laughs> right, for the right. fourth time in a row. Yeah, it's like, where, where does this stop? You know, where's the, the different uh, checks and balances that are supposed to exist within governments? It's at the federal level, but that's what I found out is that states are very, very different. Well, and I think what's also becoming really apparent, and I don't think anybody realized the extent of this, but, you know, it's, it's important to see what's happening on a national level, but it's actually yeah. more important what's happening on your local state level um, and, how, yep. and how the states yep. are actually rolling this out. Because some states have done a lot better than others. And you yeah, start man. realizing, hey, man, not every governor is the same. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, for sure. And it, it doesn't, I mean, it's sort of, you know, there's sort of some trends, whether you're a Republican or a Democratic governor. You know, we see some sides there as far as if they're going more so on, you know, pro-economy or more so pro-science. There's some of that that exists, but at the same time, there's also some people that kind of disconnect from their party in this stuff on both sides. You know, there's some Democratic governors that are like, you know, what, we really need to jumpstart this because my constituents are suffering. But then there's others like Pritzker that are like holding the line, man, and doing this five month reopen plan. You know, he's now that goes back to a feud with Trump. I'm not getting into politics, but it's interesting because Trump was one of the dude. We already started the show, by the way. So welcome, awesome. <laughs> dude. Yes, <laughs> they'll just use all this, man. It's it's so awesome how this works out. 
but it's interesting to see this because how personal things, I know we're supposed to talk about mergers and acquisitions, you know, and all that stuff. Right. <laughs> it, it's, it's all affected by this anyways. So it is yeah. absolutely, it is right on. And right now, Hey, everything's on sale. You know, that's the biggest part of <laughs> acquisitions, right? Cause I'm in that mode right now too in an acquisition mode, but Pritzker and Trump, you know, prior to politics and everything else, those two families knew each other because Pritzker, he has the, the whole Hyatt chain, you know, that's underneath his family's umbrella. And of course, Donald Trump has been in real estate and hotels for many, many years. And it's just interesting because you see the feud going back and forth and it's almost, a, it's kind of like Pritzker's the black sheep and he doesn't have great relationships with his family anyways, from what I've read, this is what I've seen. And now you see Trump like, kicking him little jabs, you know, here and there in his press conferences, you know, things like, you know, he's talking about testing or whatever it is. And he's like, I remember this comment. He goes, you know what? Illinois was broken long before coronavirus with Pritzker in there. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, why even do that stuff? Let's, I just want to see people have the truth, man. I want to see them mm -hmm. just dive into stuff that's just tangible and graspable and just common sense because I don't want to see us it's almost like becoming an uncivilized civilization in that respect because fear is driving everything right now it doesn't matter what it is what whatever side of the aisle you're on it's just fear is just stupid and of course dude this relates to business too I'm sure you know let's see how we segue into this is it an awesome great transition <laughs> yeah man dude it's good to have you on please now that we started into this I mean who knows where this is going to end up all this stuff is going to end up in <laughs> in different parts, but dude, Ryan Condi, dude, <laughs> that's a, I love these kinds of where we just dive right in because there's already a cool conversational connection. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Rick. This is awesome. And I uh, love what you're doing. Love your podcast. Thanks, my man. Thanks. I, uh, I don't know how long you've been listening or maybe you just did some research right now, but man, there's a good focus on business here. And you know that if you looked anything up about me, you know, I'm a cybersecurity CEO and IT management CEO. And right now we're in an acquisition mode. Yeah. And I'm seeing it's, so, dude, I've been so excited to talk to you today because it, there's like a consolidation that's taking place in my industry right now. So where I see it as you, now's the time to either buy or sell, but if you stay the same, you're just going to die. It's interesting how this is happening, man, because the smaller companies need more resources in order to compete. And the larger ones are either, you know, seriously hit by COVID and they're going to go under or they're doubling down, which is what my position is and saying, you know what, let's see if we can bring a lot of people underneath our umbrella. You know, what's the, that's, that's just my industry. How does that relate to what you're seeing overall in the economy? So that's very, very similar. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of deals and you see them on the local level, like, oh, you know, your local businesses and you see them on the online level with online businesses, whether it be software, whether it be content, yeah. or even e-commerce. Um, and it seems like the ones that were kind of just scraping by, um, I was really surprised, Rick, that like two weeks into this, they're like, hey, we're going to go out of business, you know, and there yeah. were a lot of businesses that were doing that. And so it kind of makes you wonder, were they really profitable? Did they really have good, clean oh, yeah. cash flows? Like were they where their health was correctly? to begin with. Yeah. 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 Well, and if, if it only took two weeks for a lot of these businesses to start hurting, weren't they going to have to hit payroll in two weeks anyways? Like, did they not have any money to hit payroll? So yeah. um, I think you're just kind of seeing a wide variety of, of what's happening here. The companies that were run really, really financially sound um, are going to come out of this really, really strong because I have several friends that have just doubled down. They're, they're nice. 4Xing their ad spend. They're gobbling up clients like crazy. And so when everybody comes out of this, they're going to just grab massive market share. Whereas many others have actually dropped their ad spend. They dropped their digital spend. Yeah, and yeah. so 
Um, it, it goes back to like, you know, Warren's, Warren Buffett's famous quote, you know, when others are greedy, you know, be weary. And when others are weary, be greedy, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's, you can see that in these micro industries, whether it's just like the local tow truck company, or you can see this on a broader span of these large companies, right? Where people are pulling stuff back, whereas others are doubling down. Yeah, that, that's an interesting perspective, man. Yeah, I read a stat when I spoke at Harvard last year. I read a stat and I, I inserted this into my, into my talk that the average small business owner brings home, like uh, on their bottom line, their adjusted gross income, right? Brings home like $59,000 a year. And it's, it's crazy, man. And these are the ones because, you know, what is it? Something like only 7% of businesses, small businesses actually break the million dollar mark anyways. You know, so you're already in the elite of the elite once you hit that mark. But what you're talking about, even under that, you still have employees. You know, so when you're saying, to, you still, weren't you going to have to hit payroll in two weeks anyways? But I'm sure because I've seen that, dude, I was there, you know, and it sucks trying to break through that mark. There's certain things in like a mindset shift I know you have to have in order to break that million dollar mark. And now if I go back and look at it, it's like, well, shoot, making seven figures is actually the easy part. Now it's like, how do I get to nine? You know, because that's, right, that's next level. Exactly. And it's almost like the same struggle. And it's like what, what got you to that point will not get you to the next point, that next milestone. So I can see some of these small business owners in this time, man. Is this what you're seeing to where they just felt the weight so far because they might have been cash strapped to begin with? And now they're like, well, I don't know about these pressures. If I'm only making 60K a year anyways, like the local tow truck company you were talking about, the, the owner, maybe it's just time to go drive a truck for somebody else. So I think there's a lot of things that you kind of see. And um, like I saw a perfect example of the business out in the Bay Area. It was cash flowing like $500,000 a year. Very, very yeah. profitable business. Um, what happened was the, the, that owner was old enough to probably sell before, right? Times were yep. so good for the last decade that they're like, oh, I'm just going to wait another two years. I'm going to wait another yeah. three years. And so you, see, you end up seeing a lot of owners that are in their 60s, 70s, or 80s that probably should have sold a long time ago. And they're going through this roller coaster ride saying, we want oh, out. And then the other thing about this, like this, this particular company out in the Bay Area is um, times were so good for so long, they started pulling all that cash out. So it looks good on paper, but they didn't have enough runway to actually pay for their employees because yeah. of second homes, Porsches, all those things that were being pulled out of the company. So that even though the company on paper is making half a million dollars a year, it doesn't look that it looks great if you were to like kind of take it over, but then you realize something hits for two weeks and they have no revenue. They literally can't pay the bills in two weeks. So I think you have this wide spectrum and you're starting to see a lot of owners. I think there's going to be a couple ways that businesses come through huh. this, right? They're either going to go under, right? You know, PPP yeah. is only going to last for so long. And, and most businesses that needed the PPP, it's kind of just life support now, in my personal yeah. opinion. There's all yeah. these nuances. The other side of it is if they do make it through this, that's going to be incredible to, to look at this business and see how resilient it is. And it's one of the trickiest times of, of what we've ever experienced in the last hundred years. And then the other side of it is I think you'll have people who do make it through and they say, Hey, I want out. Like, I don't want to yeah, go man. through this again. Yeah. I'm in my sixties. I just want to jump in my RV and cruise to Yellowstone and hang out with my wife and go see my grandkids. And then they want out too. So even the companies that do make it through this, I think there's yeah. going to be a lot that say, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to be done. Let's move on. I want to jump in my RV and cruise around the country. That's interesting. So you're seeing a lot of the ones that are looking to sell right now are sort of in their sunset years, so to speak. That's an interesting perspective, man. You're talking about the Porsches and everything. And there's a phrase that I heard years ago, right? It's called a lifestyle business. If you're talking about the Porsches and uh, the homes, you know, the multiple homes and all that, uh, it, 
I think you've got to get to a different point first, because if you're only doing a half a million a year in revenue, it's not the time to go after a Porsche. You know, <laughs> no, that's, a, the, it does, the math doesn't add up. That's a pretty big exactly. lease. Yeah, right on. And, uh, you know, I, I remember looking back at my transition in vehicles, right? Because I, I look at 12 years ago when I first went out on my own, when my twins were born and I had like no dollars whatsoever, just broke. I've told that story time and time again. And I was driving a Saturn. You know, and I saw, I still wanted branding though. And I still wanted to, to look like it was a real deal. You know, so even though I was like an independent IT consultant, I went out and bought a Saturn. I already had a Saturn, but then I saw this orange Saturn drive by. I'm like, I like the color orange and by itself, that car was freaking ugly, man. But then I, <laughs> I, I wrapped the thing with my name. Okay. And then I, I was talking with the prospect. And he's like, Oh, I see your trucks all over the place. I'm thinking about how like, dude, it's just one. It's just me, you know? one of me <laughs> yeah. going to get groceries at the store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then as soon as I could, you know, I stepped up to the next level. And actually I shouldn't say as soon as I could, it was really like before I could, but I didn't jump from a Saturn into my Aston that I drive right now. You know, there was a lot of steps in between there because it went next to a Cadillac. You know, it was like the the, it still look cool, you know, and I talk about people all the time because visual appearance is so important, man. And even when you come into like a merger and acquisition type conversation, because I'm having those right now with sellers, you know, when I walk in, I'm typically dressed better than them, even if I didn't have, even if they're higher revenue than me, because I'm looking for acquisitions, man, that are like five to 10 X more revenue than what I am right now. But I walk in and they're struggling and I'm looking at them. I'm like, I think I see why. You know, and it's, it's a lifestyle business, but yet they're not focusing on what's important to keep this business growing. And you constantly, I mean, it was like 2000, remember I said that number of like $59,000 a year, right? Even though I've been doing great, you know, and I, I was driving Mercedes S550, you know, $120,000 car like four years ago. But that year, because I was growing certain areas in my business on my adjusted gross income was $58,000 on my tax return because I had positioned myself I'm like, this is the year to reinvest back in. Mm -hmm. You double exactly. down and COVID right now, whatever, do what you can. This is my opinion, right? If you're going to stay and you're going to try to survive, go out and try to find companies to buy right now. Otherwise you're going to be someone that has to sell or you're going to die. Yeah. I, I think there's so much truth to that, Rick. When you think about um, if you're not adapting and changing, uh, you really are going to be left behind. And I think what's happening with COVID-19, it's accelerating whatever was going to happen over the next five to 10 years. Yes, I've been saying that so, same word. Yes. Yeah, it's just accelerating. So it's, it's not like retail wasn't going to survive. Retail was going to die. It just mattered. Well, instead of 2030, it just died now, right? Yeah, it just died malls a were on earlier. life support. Yeah, shopping yeah. malls were on life support. Oh man, I have so many ideas for malls. <laughs> Once they really go under and they're really cheap. Yes. <laughs> you could create like the coolest American Ninja course, all these other oh, things. Oh my so, God, I'm in. <laughs> so a couple of things when I think about like mergers and acquisitions, um, what, what small businesses like, they don't realize that they could actually double their sales in an afternoon. And that yeah, could be yeah. through a merger, right? And so even if you're just like a local business, there are so many ways that you can structure these deals. And a lot of these deals, if you're a local business trying to buy another local business, a lot of times you can actually sell or finance that deal, right? So you can double your sales, you know, cut some of the costs, have some of the synergies that yeah, are included yeah. with it. And you can actually double in an afternoon. From uh, an acquisition standpoint, say you're just kind of getting brand new into a market. I've started a lot of companies and most of them were pretty crappy, Rick. Like they were not very good. Yeah. Um, 
And then I've had a couple that did really, really well and they're still going and you can find some of those products, you know, in Sam's club and Walgreens, you know, I, I created a candy factory a few years back and oh, you can fun. see those products there. But I look back and I'm like the amount of grinding we did at the beginning, we would have been better off actually acquiring another candy company, yeah. applying my tech stack and my tech skills and my, my eight years of enterprise software sales to that business and we would have been 10 times further ahead than where we are today. So um, part of like, you, you, you kind of mentioned, you know, most like 7% of small businesses or, or startups don't make it past that million dollar mark. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we've all heard this stat, you know, 90% of, of new companies fail, right? So what you can try to do is actually just bypass that. A new company doesn't have a product market fit, it doesn't have profitability, and it doesn't have yeah. any customers. Whereas if you can walk in and acquire something that does, you've got all those things. Now you can apply whether you're marketing uh, background or whether you have operational background. And instead of starting from zero, you don't have to live off ramen noodles. You can actually go acquire something. And instead of getting to that zero to one, you're going from one to 10. That's fantastic, man. I mean, one thing you said, you know, this is uh, dude, I don't know if you've noticed squirrels and all that, but you said ramen noodles, dude, I could never do ramen noodles. It, it's for me, it was, it was craft mat, like in the tough times, oh, right? Craft yeah. mac and cheese with hot dogs, Oscar Mayer hot dogs cup. I don't know, because I had standards. I wouldn't do the generic <laughs> hot dogs. All right. It had to be craft mac and cheese and it had to be Oscar Mayer hot dogs cut up in there. Yeah, it was just, it was pretty fun. But anyways. I'll be, right? <laughs> but dude, back at that time, no, man, you just take what, <laughs> no, I mean, we, we do, dude, the all be, oh my gosh. The stuff that we put in our bodies sometimes, you know, this was years ago, but whatever. I, uh, I, I think, I think our body just forgets like the 18 to 28 years of when we are just kind of eating crap to like get through that. Right. And yeah, no joke. Do too much damage to our bodies. Yep. This morning I was doing a row, right. I'm going through like Lake blood because I got like the Peloton of rowers, you know, isn't oh, that, nice. that's another crazy branding thing. It's a Nordic track, right. I'm on this thing, you know, I think I might've felt those hot dogs and Mac and cheese from 20 years ago this morning. <laughs> Cause I was pushing it, you know, it was like a strength when this one was all about power and I'm pulling back. I'm like, Oh, I wish I never would have done the craft. <laughs> well, I think when you get into your thirties and forties, like, well, if you eat Kraft mac and cheese or eat those hot dogs, like I literally see them go to my hips, like instantly. I'm like, immediately. Yes, I, just, yes. I just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I'll, yeah. stick, I'll stick to scotch now. Yeah. I prefer that a little bit. My tastes have matured a little bit. Thank God. You know? <laughs> oh my God, man. All right. So back to our conversation about purchases and acquisitions. Yeah, man, th this is such an interesting conversation because it, you started talking about the structure of the deals a little bit. And I would love to get into that because it, there's a deal that I was just working and it fell through. Just I'm talking like three days ago. Uh, that's it. You know, and I've been putting effort into this thing for like a month and a half energy into this. And finally, when I drew the line in the sand and told them like, Hey, I need a commitment. Cause one thing I noticed is that there was almost reluctance on their part because it was like there, the dude was around 62 years old, something like that. He still wanted to give a few more years, you know, help with the integration, the transition, try to get behind somebody who has some energy to push a vision forward. And this was going to be a seller finance deal. And the reason I went that route, even though I could totally do debt financing, and acquire this dude as a lump sum, there was this difference, right? And I, I, there typically is in these deals from what I've seen, I'd love you to speak to this between what the seller feels their company is worth, you know, especially in my industry and actually what the buyer sees will cash flow out. Uh, that, like, I basically run into that every single day, Rick. And so, yeah. you know, someone who's like, hey, I've built this baby up for the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, they think their business is worth 
20x profit, you know, 20x seller discretion or earnings or EBITDA, yeah, yeah. however you want to carve it up. And in reality, most businesses are worth like three to four X, right? And so yep. some of it is you have to bring them down to reality. Um, and the only way you could do a deal like that, if they want just an absorbent amount of money, you can't actually do debt financing uh, because you're, you won't be able to support your loan payments and you won't be able to support yeah, right the actual on. business. Um, and and no, biz, no bank's going to loan on a business that's, you know, trading at 10X or 20X. Like it just doesn't work the numbers. And I think a lot of people, they, they say, oh, well, my you know, I do 2 million a year in revenue, uh, but Google's trading at 20X revenue or 20X whatever, you know? And they say, well, I, I'm like Google because I'm in the same industry. Well, absolutely you're not. So you're exactly. 0% like Google. Um, yep. And so I think, you, you do run into that a lot and there's a couple ways to kind of go about that. One, sometimes you're just the bearer of bad news, right? Um, I mean, anytime you're doing direct outreach to different deals, that's going to be the biggest hurdle that you'll run into. Um, probably the quality of deals that you see are going to be a lot higher if you're kind of picking and choosing and reaching out to business owners that way. You can also go through brokers. For the most part, brokers do an okay job at like keeping people within reality of where it needs yeah, to be and yeah. saying, okay, well, we can't list this business for 10 X because it just doesn't make sense. And so, um, I've also found too, Rick, like, you know, it, it, you're walking, you're working with the owner. It sounds like you've been working with them for a month and a half. You build up some rapport there and trust. Oh yeah, and you, man. Yep. And you, you're basically saying, I'm going to take your legacy on. I'm going to take your name. Your name's been attached to this for a long time. I'm going to treat it like my own baby and it's going to be awesome. But let me show you why this doesn't work. And you just, you know, as honest as you can show them, Hey, look, look at these numbers. There's no way this business will support this type of cash flow. So your business yeah. isn't worth this much. If you're looking for more of like an annuity, maybe we do like a seller financing deal and I'll just pay you a small amount over the next 10 years and use the profits of the business to, to acquire that. Um, when it comes to these types of deals, I've bought and sold some companies by no means am I an expert and I'm always learning things new, new every single day, Rick, but there also like are a bunch of rules, but then there aren't. And so yeah, a lot yeah. of it is, uh, I've seen deals done where the main thing for the subway owner, he owned sub five subways. He wanted just subway for life for his family. Well, how much subway can you really eat? Like, maybe a thousand dollars a year <laughs> before you, you can't stand it anymore. And so, dude, I hope it's not even that much. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's a lot of subway. That's a lot exactly. of meatballs. Um, so I think when you when you're looking at these things, like in this particular deal, if you could just outline the numbers and say, hey, look, you want X amount for your business, but the cash flows yeah. from it, and how much we have have to reinvest to grow it and take it to the next level or even just maintain it. It's not going to support that. And I think when they can see that, then they realize, okay, well, my business isn't worth that. And I can either let it go to zero or I can get something out of it. And then you have a real conversation. And so it's almost like yeah, opening yeah. up the books and say, Hey, look, I know you think it's worth this, but there's really no way to finance this business or even on a seller financing note that we would still be able to run it. And it would just drive it into the ground. You got it, man. Yeah. You mentioned a key component of this too. And how you, you talked about multipliers, right? Whatever the multiple is and it Google's trading in a 20 X or whatever it is. But when you're talking about that typical multiplier is or the multiple is between three X to four X seller discretionary earnings. And you know, my, my audience on this, uh, it skews towards the younger side too. So I'd, if we could just unpack that, you know, just as an educational piece, if you don't mind, you know, yeah. seller discretionary earnings is, in a nutshell, it's like your profit before you pay yourself. That's really exactly. what, it, what it comes down to. So before you take a dollar, 
you know, and then there's also these things called add backs, right? Because if you have, uh, if you do pay yourself a salary, you know, hundred K a year or whatever it is, and then you have 50 K a year in seller discretionary earnings and add back, you pump that back into your seller discretionary earnings in order to figure out your valuation. So if you take hundred K salary, your company made 50 K after paying all of its, its expenses, you add your salary. This is so, such simplistic math back to that. And you've got 150 K seller discretionary earnings. So if you've got a three X multiple, you can sell for 450K. That's three times multiplied by 150. And the way I'm giving this to you is actually almost like exactly what this deal was, right? It's close to that, you know, hypothetical numbers, but yet the multiple that the seller thought it was, was like an 8X. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm looking at the recurring revenue mix, which was intriguing to me because recurring revenue mix, especially in my industry or Google, like you're talking about SaaS, you know, a tow truck company, different story. You don't have people with like subscriptions to get the car towed, you know, like you're talking right there. you know, it's they're one-offs, you know, just like a, a plumber or something else, you know, it's just how it is. But in, in technology or really a lot of other companies, they're subscription based, recurring revenue based, that recurring revenue mix affects your multiple. If you have a higher recurring revenue mix, you can demand a higher multiple because there's going to be more return over the course of those years. And like you're saying, from what I see anyways, that annuity on a seller finance deal will work out so well on those, especially when there's recurring revenue. There might be a different story when the revenue mix is a little bit more risky, which is what I saw here too in this scenario. You know, and almost everyone is like this too, because going back to the seller always thinks that their business is worth more than what it actually is and what's on the bottom line. And how many times do you run into sellers, man? I'm curious about this, that don't really even understand their own P&L. Um, like almost 100% of the time. <laughs> almost all of it. Yeah, yeah, right on. I mean, that was another, it's like, you know, I did X amount in hardware sales last year and we do, this is what the, the, the dude was saying, you know, I'm making up some numbers. He was like, we do 25% points on, on margin. I'm like, really? I'm like, the industry average is like 11%. And I'm looking, you know, you might have done like 500K in hardware sales last year, but your cost of goods sold on that was 490. Dude, you made 10 grand. You know? <laughs> that's a lot of work for 10 grand. <laughs> it is. I know. I'm looking at that. I'm like, this just, he's like, well, that's not right. I'm like, it's your P&L. And then I'm showing him, you know, and it, he was such a good dude too, man. Such a great heart, put blood, sweat, and tears into this, you know, and it was, it was a great conversation that I had with him, but I almost found myself educating him on business in that realm. And I, just like you, man, I'm, I'm by no means an expert. It's just, I've chosen to educate myself in certain areas that can benefit me. And it's cool to help those bring up. So do you find that a lot too? I mean, what's your role in some of these M and A's you've bought some, you've sold some, I'm sure, you know, do you find yourself educating the seller a lot of times? So I, I do, if I'm, if I'm not working through a broker, absolutely. A lot of times a broker will take that role of educating, um, the seller, right? And so um, you typically know that the person is very serious if they're going to work through a broker. I'll be honest with you. Most brokers are like real estate agents. Only about 5% of them are any good. Um, Uh, And you'll you'll know when you start working with them. Most brokers aren't very good. They don't add a lot of value. And anyways, um, so when when you are actually kind of working on maybe on a more direct outreach like you have with this individual, right? So you're going to spend a lot of time kind of educating where they are within their business. And, you know, they may not actually look at their P&L for the last 10 years, right? If they've been in business for 20 years. So maybe at one point he had one deal where he did make 22% margin or 25% margin on his his sales. But that was just like one sale back in 2003, right? And so you kind of are educating a lot of these people. When it comes to like kind of your early question too, Rick, about like these multiples, most small businesses are going to trade on average at like a 3x profit. 
Okay. So three yep. X. And the reason for that, like you might think like, Oh, cool. If I pay all cash for this business, I'll make a 33% return on my money ish. And then I can make my money back in three years. That's a yeah. really, really good investment and amazing ROI. The hard part is that's actually accurately priced. These can be really, really risky deals because the businesses take on the personality of the owner. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, even after, you know, if you, an owner has run their business for 20 years and you come over and start running their business two years later, you still don't know where the closets are that potentially have skeletons in it. And so yeah, they right will on. always know the business better than you. So the numbers look really, really good always on paper, but you also have to understand who you're working with and what those can look like. You don't have any liquidity when it comes to these types of investments. Whereas yeah, right like on. if you're trading Google, like, well, there's a billion other people on Robinhood that I could sell my Google stock to, yep, right? Yep. Or, or Hertz or whoever you want to sell them to on Robin Hood. Yeah, you're <laughs> um, a little stuck with this. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're stuck with it. And you're also stuck with the operations and the running it and all yeah. these other pieces that go into it. Or, you know, finding a, a GM or a general manager to actually go in and do that for you. So that's why as you get out of that liquidity stage and, you know, publicly trade stock is going to trade at a much higher multiple because someone can just get their money out very, it's very such quickly. an easy exit. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Right on, man. I love your perspective on this too. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of ways to kind of carve these deals up. But, you know, if you're doing direct outreach or find a business that you like locally or say your local HVAC company and you want to acquire someone else, um, there's a lot of ways to kind of carve it up. But nothing really beats rapport with that owner. And as you start to educate yourself in this, you'll realize that there are a bunch of rules, but then there aren't in different scenarios. And so when you are carving these up, you do spend a lot of time uh, basically telling people about their business and the industry and maybe some of the things they're missing. But ultimately, I think sometimes when you look at these deals, you say, oh, look, like if they did X, Y, and Z, they could probably grow their business by 50%. Um, and I, I have found that to be true on some cases, but a lot of times, Rick, if it was easy to do, the current owner would have already done it. Um, and so either they've tried it and it didn't work and they're telling you that, or um, it's, it's way harder than you think it is. So I think sometimes we look at some of these businesses and you can say, Oh, cool. We'll just, you know, add a few new products, start selling international and you're going to double. Yeah, well, that's incredibly yep. difficult to do. And if it was easy, the current owner would have already done that. So that's interesting, man, because that was almost the ex- in this scenario that I'm using as our example here. That was almost the exact situation that happened is that it got to the point where it was like, Hey, let's sit down because there's a, also the structure when it's seller finance, you can throw in an earnout which is what I was doing. And that's how you, you know, how you bridge the gap between what the seller feels they're worth and what the buyer is willing to pay. It's like, awesome. If you think that it's worth this much, then let's get you to there. And this is how we need to increase performance, increase metrics, increase profitability. Though when I sat with them, like, here's my plan. This is what I've done already with other businesses. This is even what I coach out when I do individual consulting in my industry. And then I'm showing him the difference between his numbers and profitability and mine. And my numbers were like 3x profitability, what his was. And his statement to me was, which was so, uh, so naive, but yet at the same time, it drew so much compassion from me, which was interesting. You know, as I heard, his statement was, Rick, if I would have thought that I could charge that, I'd already be doing it. So I don't understand. How do you get from where I'm at to where you're at? And I told him, I'm like, it's simple, man. You know, if you would have done that, but it's just being straight truth to him. It's like, you just don't know how. And that's okay yeah. because I'm going to teach you because there's an integration period. There's an earnout, and I'm going to show you exactly what, the, what this is. You know, and you have the potential of increasing that multiple from 3X to 5X if you can achieve this. 
Yeah. So, so I think you uncovered two really interesting points. One is the earnout, and then two is, is pricing, right? Yeah. I actually find it a lot of the times that if a business has been around for more than a decade, they're not priced correctly within the marketplace based on the value they're providing. Right and this is yeah. like most common in like a SaaS business, like a software as a service business, when the uh, founders are just engineers. I say just engineers, they're amazing. Like they build stuff and it's really cool. And, um, but they typically don't price correctly. So I've seen people and I have had friends who've bought SaaS companies and literally all they did was double the price and kept yeah. everything the same. And you know, it, it's essentially all profit, right? Uh, if you're yep, just yep. increasing the price without really an additional cogs or anything like that. So I think in even these local businesses, you'll see that too, Rick, where um, they're not priced adequately enough. And it's probably because they've, they've got this mindset or a frame or like a anchor where 10 years ago, this is what you could charge or, you know, early 2000s, this is what you charged or back yeah. in my day, this is what you charged. And so, um, they don't, they don't understand the value of, of somebody who can come in and, you know, think about like from a security standpoint, you know, if you're doing cybersecurity, the, if you get hacked, you're out of business right and yeah. what's, what's the downside yeah. of that? Well, it's, it's pretty large, right? So if you can convey that value of how you're protecting them from basically going out of business, well, you could probably charge three X for that. <laughs> Whereas yeah, exactly. um, they're going in and saying, <laughs> well, my hardware only costs X and you know, typically I can mark it up 20%, you know, things like that. It's just kind of a different way to kind of roll that out. So it's a lot of it, it's the frame of mind and you can see this in some of these older businesses that have been kind of going as is. Um, the other thing, Rick, you kind of talked about earnouts and earnouts are different than seller financing. Seller financing is, hey, I, I'm going to buy this business for $500,000 and over five yeah. years, I'm just going to pay you $100,000 a year. Great. Now, an earnout would, would be, oh, you actually, you know, instead of saying uh, this business is $500,000, you want to buy this business for $700,000. Yep, yep. Well, it's not worth that. If we can get to X amount of revenue or X percent profitability, then there'll be different kickers that will, you know, get you to that 700,000. If we don't hit those kickers, then that earnout won't take place. Or if that transition doesn't happen and you don't teach me, you know, different ins and outs or make the right intros to the right uh, clients, then that earnout does not happen. So that's kind of the difference between seller financing, but earnouts are a really important uh, part of this deal structure. If someone thinks their business is worth X and it's really worth why, how you do bridge the gap, you say, well, if we can hit these certain metrics and if you help me to hit these certain metrics, then you can really make this on the back end. Right on, man. That's the integration timeframe too, you know, because sometimes you, it, would you say that it really depends on the seller as far as where they're at, you know, because you were talking about people that were, or sellers that might be in like those sunset years, you know, they might just want to just get out and get out fast. But then there's others who might be willing to put in the effort and energy, you know, because at a minimum, it's almost like six to 18 months for this earnout period. Sometimes I've seen earnouts as long as five and 10 years in some scenarios too. It depends yeah. on where that person is at, you know, and if they're like, you know, maybe they're, they're 50. They're like, I still have 10 years to give, but you know what? I realize that maybe I just had some fluke of a success at the beginning, but it's not really something I want to do. I'd rather help support somebody else's vision. And that's a totally different mindset too. Yeah. And that's an interesting way to approach it. There, there's kind of, there's a lot of ways to approach the earnout. One of the earnouts is the most common is, Hey, you remain as CEO for the next two years. And then in two years, we'll send you off and you get your other cash bonus. Um, I've actually seen a lot more types of earnouts that are, Hey, you know, give us the 30 to 60 day transition, teach us, teach us the business. And yeah. If we're able to grow it like you say we are with the right opportunities and the low-hanging fruit that you say exist, and we can get it to you know whatever the revenue is, then you can make that earn out on, on the back end. And so 
it's not necessarily up to them, but it's more of like, if what you told us is true in these low hanging fruits, then we can actually get this deal done. And actually one of my close friends, he just did a deal where, um, the seller had the great, had a great business doing about a quarter million a year in, in yeah. profit, super high margins, great website. And she needed to move on, um, because her husband, um, got cancer. Right. And so she wanted a, a pretty high multiple for the business. And he said, I can't actually support that multiple. I want to do this deal. And so they've gone back and forth and created a really unique structure where some of the money is up front, but then some of the money is over the next seven years. And there's a different earnout if what she says is true within the business. And, and, the, and he's the most qualified person to take over this business and grow this business. So I think yeah. that's also critical too, is there's a lot of faith going back and forth that he can actually deliver and get it to that next revenue standpoint. Yeah, right on. Yep. If he's able to do that, then she's going to make a lot more money in year three and year four and year five in this burnout. Yeah. And if not, then he's not out this money, but it, it kind of bridges that gap there. That's so interesting, man. And it's, we're, uh, dude, I swear I could talk to you for like another hour too, you know, cause this is, a, <laughs> all this is this awesome. Is, yeah, it is awesome, man. Yeah. And you know, it's, it doesn't take, cause it, even people like us, right. It's, they'll listen to us. Everybody who's listening to the show right now, think, holy cow, these guys have been doing M and a for 20 plus years, whatever it is, you know, and that's not the truth, you know, because even what you're looking at, you know, where you're talking about that candy company, it was, it would have been so easy to just acquire somebody else's infrastructure to make your vision happen because you might've been able to optimize and increase profitability using somebody else's infrastructure that they already laid the foundation for. But that was how many years ago with the candy company? Uh, so we started about six and a half years ago. Exactly. So, I mean, at that point now you're realizing, Hey, maybe I could have just acquired something. So you've been at the most right doing M and a for like six years. That's about so it. The first website I bought was in 2012 and I bought and sold a bunch kind of throughout that process. Yeah. Some of them have been on the side, some have been full time. And in the middle of that, I have started my own companies. And one thing I want to be clear about, I don't have like an MBA. I didn't go to wall street. I'm all self-taught. Right like I went to school, but I went, I went to uh, Brigham Young university. I graduated in entrepreneurship. I have no idea how I walked out with a degree. I literally didn't learn anything. And I think that's not just, cool. I think that's, you know, college in general, like you just learn by doing, right? How do you, yeah, how do yeah. you learn how to run an e-commerce company? Well, you just got to do it. Like you can't teach anybody yep. in like a class. So a lot of it is just doing. And so, um, and I just went and bought a, bought a, I was using a, a product from a website and I liked it a lot. I reached out to the owner and said, Hey, like I noticed you didn't have very many in stock. You guys for sale. And he's like, well, no, we're not. Well, I just kept calling the owner every two weeks. And after about three months out of blue, he called me back and said, Hey man, I need to move on. You seem like you got a lot of energy. Let's do a deal. Anyways, that was literally how I did my first deal. Awesome. And I didn't, I didn't learn how to sew. I didn't learn how to come up with a product. I didn't learn how to build a website. 2012, this was really before Shopify. And what I learned from that experience was this is so much easier than starting from scratch. And so yeah, yeah. Um, there are so many resources out there. You can watch YouTube videos, but a lot of it is just kind of getting, getting a feel for the deals that are out there. And there's a lot of ways to do that. You can reach out to your local brokers. There's a lot of online brokers that you can work with. And so much of that is just seeing deals and you'll start to say, okay, well, my skill set is, you know, growth and marketing. So I want to find something that's really strong operationally yeah, yeah. and I can do the growth and marketing. 
or I want to find something that's really good at marketing because I'm good at optimizing and I can bring a good tech stack in and I can automate everything. Well, great. Then those are the types of businesses you should look at. But um, so much of this, Rick, is people don't realize is you can just go learn this, right? Like the internet has yeah, right on, endless, su- yep. endless supply of, yeah. of information out there. And it's, at some point, you don't really need a mergers and acquisition background um, to be able to do a lot of deals. And uh, many of the people that I know specifically don't have a private equity background or a, a VC background or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. They just, they're really good at connecting with people. They're really good at building up that rapport and they find which deals they want to do. And then they can go buy these great businesses and marry them together or do a roll up strategy. There's a million ways to kind of carve it up. Dude, that's beautiful. Yeah. And you know, I, even at the point where I'm at right now, doing a couple million in revenue a year, it's, there's people that are around that can help you through this too. So everyone thinks, oh, CFOs are for big corporations, right? And most people don't even understand the, and this is okay because it lets help them understand that the role of a CFO is not just to make sure that you don't spend a lot. It's also to acquire funding for you. Exactly. They're the ones that look out and, and figure out how, it's their responsibility to make sure that you have enough cash and do whatever you want to do. I'm not talking just day-to-day expenses. I'm talking even growth. And that's a, such a key role to them. Now, my uh, you know, I, he's Kingsley Charles from the from Wealthy CEO, and he's amazing because he costs me like twenty five thousand dollars a year. That's it to have a fractional CFO. And the dude just found me yesterday, two and a half million in funding. You know, That's so, crazy. Yeah. So even if you're a small business, you know, maybe you're like, oh, I'm just starting this out. You know, I'm gonna bootstrap this sucker. You know, and you're only doing three hundred k a year, two hundred fifty k a year, whatever it is. Just bring this dude on now. You know, everyone asks me too, what would your first hire be? And it's changed over the years. If I, as I've grown in business, now I tell you, hands down, it would have been a fractional CFO that I would have brought on first, a money man to help acquire funding to do exactly what you did when you thought about uh, that product and that e-commerce website and what you didn't do when you had the candy company. You know, because if I can pay 25K for a, just a year, whatever, for a fractional CFO that goes out and finds me two and a half million in funding, that's ROI in and of itself. And then you can use that to acquire businesses right now, tomorrow. Yeah. And the biggest thing I see with a lot of businesses that I'm looking at, Rick, is they don't spend enough on their CPA. I don't mean you need to go spend $10,000 a month on a CPA, yeah. but you got to stop using like your neighbor's bookkeeper or like oh my your, gosh, your yes. cousin's like nephew. It doesn't Dude, they're work. Good. They're good up to like 200K for an S Corp, 200K yeah. in revenue. It's about it. Yeah. yeah so you don't want to, people aren't spending enough money on that. And I don't like, you can go get really good fractional CPAs for like $200 a month, right? Like really, really good. You don't need to go spend a crazy amount of money, but people who are trying to cut costs there, that's the last place you should do it. And the other thing is um, there are ways that you can go get a CEO or CFO and do it. Like you said, where you get five hours a week from their time or or 20 hours a month or whatever that may be. Those are a hundred percent worth it. And not enough people are kind of reinvesting in those types of relationships to build their business. Cause that's actually what's going to be a huge kicker. And you know, 25 grand led to 22 and a half million dollars in funding. I don't know what the ROI, I can't even do the math on that. But it's, <laughs> it's crazy yeah. because that's what it's supposed to be, you know? So when you find somebody good like that, it doesn't, it doesn't have to cost you a lot up front, you know? But then there's other ways to structure that too, you know? Because at some point, he'll probably have a stock grant, you know, and, and whatever it is, because now he's totally invested in my growth. And I want him to continue to feel that way too and feel part of the vision. There's so many fun ways to structure this, dude. You know, man, I, oh, I'm looking at the time and it's like, I just want to keep going because there's so much to talk about here. Maybe we'll do a part two at some point. We can point. always do a part two. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, maybe we'll do a webinar for my industry. Would that work for you? 
Could yeah, you come absolutely. on and do We'll talk yeah, about it. That'd be awesome, man. Let's do that. I've got a, a bunch coming up in the, in the next coming months. And for now, though, what's one thing that you can leave everyone today? Something that they can just grab onto out of everything we've talked about? When I, when I think about it, like, some of this is kind of just the commitment to something, right? And yeah. so um, I think a couple things that I've learned, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. I'm not very old. I've got two kids. My wife is due in two weeks with our third. We're pretty excited. Dude, awesome. Yeah, um, well, well, it's a surprise. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl, so you know, we might be another boy. We might be three boys. Um, yes. When I, when I think about this, when I when I started kind of shifting my career from what do I like with the end in mind, uh, and I think it's like a Stephen R. Covey thing, who's a famous author. But if you start yeah. with the end in mind, whatever it is, and kind of work yourself backwards, and you can do that with any goal. You can do it with like losing twenty pounds, or starting a business, or buying a business, whatever. Um, start with your end in mind because I see a lot of people who get into a career but they don't really start with the end in mind is, is the end in yeah, mind yeah. being able to go to you know all your kids soccer games or is it being on the road three weeks out of the out of the month right and so one thing that has been successful with me over the last probably five years or so is I really started with the end in mind and the other thing I've learned too is everybody's just figuring out nobody really knows what they're doing yeah, yeah. Um, and as you kind of take those big steps and those big leaps people you'll start to realize like it's stretching you and that's the only way to kind of grow. And, and yeah. ultimately like the other thing, Rick, is I've learned that whenever I'm 98% into something, I'm constantly debating whether, oh, is this donut that 2%? And then, you know what I mean? Like just go all in. 98% isn't 100% and that 2%, you spend so much time convincing yourself, is it that 2%? Is it the exception? Yeah. Yeah. Um, rather than just go all in. And when you're in 100%, there, there isn't really an excuse, right? You're kind of extreme ownership. Yeah. You're just telling yourself like, hey, this is on me and that's okay if I fail, but I'm not gonna look back and say, I only gave 98%. And so just whatever you're doing, go all in. And if it's a diet, cool, don't eat that donut because before you know it, a month from now, you'll think it's 2%, but it's really 30% of the time because you're eating that yeah. donut, yeah. right? You know, so kind of, it's same thing with business. Just go all in and, and uh, go that 100% in. So that's what I would say. Dude, I love it, man. Hey, where can everyone find you? Social, everywhere else? Yeah, so you can find me. Um, so Ryan Condi, R-Y-A-N-C-O-N-D-I-E. You can find me on LinkedIn. I post a bunch there. I also have a podcast just kind of documenting my journey. Let's buy a business. You can find that at letsbuybusiness.com nice. or Shopify, or sorry, not Shopify, Spotify or Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. That's awesome, man. Yeah, go, file, go follow Ron, Ron. Oh my gosh. I was combining your first and last name right there. <laughs> hey, I get that all what the time. The world, I, get Ron, dude? I get Rondy all the time, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious funny thing is i have a good friend who's actually in finance and his name his actual name is rondy oh that's <laughs> awesome <laughs> dude thanks so much for being on man this was fantastic educational and fun for me too awesome thanks so much rick Take oh care. yeah hey thanks for going all in with me today subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out rate and review the show if you're listening on itunes follow me on social media at mr rick jordan as always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message. Man, that was killer. That was fantastic. Dude, that was so fun, man. It's fun chatting with like like-minded people. It just yeah. it, it blows, man. It's great. It sure does. Absolutely.